saying one thing but doing another. Harper's Destructive Middle East Policy, written and read by Micha K. Ben David. For years, Stephen Harper has consistently expressed his support for the peace process in the Middle East. He said he believed in the common vision of two viable states based on the 1949 armistice line, the Green Line, a secure Israel alongside a viable Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza, East Jerusalem, as the future Palestinian capital. Above all, Harper has noted time and again how he believes in the ongoing diplomatic process to accomplish these goals. In 2014, Prime Minister Stephen Harper was offered a rare invitation to address the Israeli Knesset. At the time, the Knesset housed one of the most right-wing governments in Israel's history. The audience included party leaders such as Avigdor Lieberman, Israel's foreign minister, and an advocate for the proposal that would require Palestinian citizens to sign a loyalty oath to the state, to the Jewish state, in return for rights. The audience also included Minister of Economy Naftali Bennett, whose election campaign laid out a plan to annex Area C of the West Bank, 62% of the occupied Palestinian territories, for Jewish settlement expansion, leaving only small islands under the control of the contracted Palestinian Authority, the PA. And of course, there was Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who a day after his recent election, re-election, in April of this year, finally professed in English what we have all heard in Hebrew for many years. There will not be a Palestinian state, he said. Harper began his address by acknowledging Israel as one of Canada's greatest friends and allies. He promised to nurture the strong relationship between Israel and Canada with an emphasis on long-lasting free trade agreements between the two countries and a strong military cooperation, especially in times of war. Through fire and water, Canada will stand by you, Harper declared, prompting a standing ovation. After Harper's visit to Israel, I imagine I was not the only one in dismay over Canada's trade agreements with Israel. He promotes an Israeli economy that comes at the expense of the Palestinian population, systematically violating Palestinian human rights and causing communities and cities further economic marginalization. While Palestinians are increasingly confined and warehoused into walled cities where unemployment is reaching all-time highs, Israel-Canadian free trade means Israeli export is tax-exempt, while Palestinians cannot export at all due to access restrictions. Israel's successful startups are primarily based in high-tech, a successful economic branch of Israel's prolific arms industry. Money is being made through the high-teching of the occupation. It's an industry. While promoting an Israeli economy, Prime Minister Harper takes pride in the Canadian diplomatic approach to negotiations. He and the Conservatives have consistently emphasized their belief in the centrality of diplomacy in regards to the peace process. However, in recent years, the peace process has reached a seemingly insurmountable deadlock. Consecutive Israeli governments continue to support the rapid expansion of Israeli-only suburbs and township settlements, the vast development of segregated highway infrastructure designed to bypass Palestinian cities 
paved through Palestinian farmlands of the West Bank, eating away at the viability of a Palestinian state and economy. The Israeli negotiation teams have consistently refused to substantively address any of the following issues, all of which alone stand in the way of a viable Palestinian state, beginning with the growth of Israeli cities in the West Bank, Onward, the steady expansion of the Israeli separation wall, the construction of which disrupts the continuity of land under Palestinian control in the West Bank, and which completely surrounds some Palestinian cities. The control of over 75% of the Palestinian water resources owned by Israeli companies. Israel's control of all of the international borders surrounding Palestine. The Bank of Israel's control over the Palestinian economy, including Palestinian Authority salaries, since the 1994 Paris Economic Protocol Agreement, as part of the Oslo Accords. Israel's controversial claim of Jerusalem al-Quds, the Palestinian capital, as the united undivided capital of the State of Israel. And the fate of the millions of Palestinian refugees scattered across the globe, many of whom still live in refugee camps today. Thus, left in an inferior bargaining position, with no cards in hand, the PA pursues an alternative diplomatic route. In November 2012, in order to take advantage of international law, the Palestinian leadership applied to become a non-member observer state of the United Nations. An overwhelming 138 member states voted in support of Palestine. Canada, however, was one of only nine countries that voted against the motion. Among those who supported the vote were countries such as France, Italy, Spain, Switzerland, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, as well as the Vatican. Germany and the UK abstained. In front of the UN General Assembly, Foreign Minister John Baird denounced the motion and stated that as a result of this body's utterly regrettable decision to abandon policy and principle, we will be considering all available next steps. Little did we know that some of the next steps were going to be an assault on Canadian democracy itself. The government of Israel was vehemently opposed to the statehood bid and lobbied strongly to get votes against the bid. Why the concern? Well, aside from the increased status and international recognition it gives Palestinians, the privileges of the newfound status would also allow the state of Palestine to submit war crime complaints to the International Criminal Court, a body that Canada played a lead role in creating in the 1990s. Israel is certainly at risk to be brought to task for its actions during its occupation and its most recent war on Gaza in 2014 targeting civilians during the 50-day offensive. Amid numerous setbacks, the international community continues to try to broker a peace process. Meanwhile, the Netanyahu government is continuing the broader, decades-old strategy to eradicate the viability of a Palestinian state by creating facts on the ground. Almost 300,000 Israeli citizens, settlers, have been enticed to move into East Jerusalem lands nearly matching the area's 360,000 Palestinian residents. Moreover, the separation annexation wall was constructed far from the Green Line and instead around the Palestinian Central Business District, 
cutting the suburbs and the workforce off from the largest Palestinian metropolis and capital, causing thousands of Palestinian businesses to shut down. Israel continues to demolish Palestinian homes while supporting supremacist Jewish communities to grow in the midst of Palestinian neighborhoods. Palestinian Jerusalem is rapidly disappearing. Despite all these efforts, however, Jerusalem al-Quds has remained safely under international status quo as the future Palestinian capital. Visiting state ministers from around the world have kept their official meetings with Israel in Tel Aviv or West Jerusalem, maintaining this unique and delicate status quo. Israel is still the only state in the world to insist that Jerusalem is the Israeli capital. Embassy representatives are still based in Tel Aviv, in line with international law pending a negotiated diplomatic change in status. That is, until Canada's foreign minister, John Baird, became the first to break the existing state of affairs with his visit to the Israeli Ministry of Justice, built both ironically and tragically upon occupied Palestinian lands of East Jerusalem, to meet with the Israeli minister Tzipi Livni. Canada became the first nation to officially dismiss international protocol governing East Jerusalem, having an official meeting at that, at that location. Later that year, Australia's hawkish foreign minister, Julie Bishop, followed suit, declaring she would not be using the term occupied regarding East Jerusalem any longer, setting dangerous international precedent. By means of this seemingly insignificant move, which was in fact a calculated strategic action, Harper and his administration have given tacit approval of Israel's military occupation of the Palestinian capital, thus using high-level official Canadian diplomacy to undermine the diplomatic course toward a viable two-state resolution of the Middle East conflict. In doing so, Canada is a responsible party in changing international diplomatic status quo to benefit the extreme Israeli right-wing parties. What does the future hold for Israelis and Palestinians striving for democracy, true peace, and justice? Perhaps some historically overdue campaigns regarding economic equality, freedom of movement, an end to race or religion-based policies, recognition that regardless of one, two, five, or no state solution, Jerusalem is the largest Palestinian metropolis and capital and a biblical capital of three religions and many more cultures, perhaps. But for this to take place, there must be freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of political assembly, freedoms that Palestinians are currently not afforded living under military occupation in Gaza, the West Bank, or in occupied Jerusalem. To this end, a decade ago, a group of Palestinian activists launched the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Movement, a campaign of international accountability that demands a boycott of companies profiteering from occupation, the divestment from corporations invested in the occupation economy, and international sanctions on the Israeli government. The BDS movement has steadily gained momentum on university campuses within governments and in corporate boardrooms across the world. Harper's government, however, has made an effort to block this positive initiative, branding it modern anti-Semitism. In January 2015, the Canadian government signed a Memorandum of Understanding with the Government of Israel to work against the BDS movement. This certainly appears to be one of, one of the available next steps referred to by Baird in November 2012. Now, 
In May of this year, the government of Canada is threatening to charge those participating in boycotts of Israel with hate crime. BDS is a non-violent grassroots call for international support where all other options have failed. It is a movement that is based on respecting human rights and seeking justice, similar to the anti-apartheid movement for South Africa. This is a very different Prime Minister than his conservative predecessors Brian Mulroney and Joe Clark, who crafted a key role for Canada in bringing justice to South Africa, a fact recognized by Nelson Mandela and a source of pride for Canadians. The BDS movement is having an impact and is an area of grave concern for the Netanyahu government. So Harper obliges while ignoring some of the most offensive anti-Arab statements from members of the current Netanyahu government, including offensive statements made by Netanyahu against Arabs in order to win the election. Netanyahu has recently appointed as his Minister of Justice Ayelet Shaked, who last summer posted on her Facebook page a call for genocide of Palestinians. This and horrific, hateful comments made by members of his previous cabinet have all gone unnoticed by the very principled government of Stephen Harper. One wonders what it is that the government of Israel has to do or say before Harper's government puts some distance between the two. This most recent initiative to make anyone participating in non-violent form of protest is assuming that everyone who is taking a stand against some of the government of Israel's policies is anti-Semitic. On an individual basis, if I, as a proud Jew, active for tikkun olam and justice, boycott products produced from an Israeli settlement in Palestine, I will be in line with international law principles, but guilty of hate crime under Canadian law, and according to Harper and Baird, an anti-Semite? Now the EU, collectively, has introduced legisla legislation that prohibits grants being distributed to activities linked to settlements, a boycott of sorts. Is the Harper legislation implying that the EU is participating in forms of hate crimes? In May 19th column in The Independent, Robert Fisk, noted journalist and author, wrote that Harper's proposed law is not only ludicrous, but stupid, pointless, and racist, because it assumes that anyone opposed to Israel's vicious and iniquitous policies of land grabbing in the West Bank is an anti-Semite, but it is also anti-democratic. Harper has taken action to undermine diplomatic and nonviolent tools to oppose the Israeli occupation of Palestine, while at the same time arguing that he and Canada support a diplomatic path to peace. He says one thing, but he does another. We all end up paying the high price for his bias. Je suis sick of it. Vote for someone else. Thank you.